When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye Talk is about to begin Hey, 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 come on in Welcome back to Buckeye Retalkables. One of the favorite things we do here at Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice, Stephen Means, Nathan Baird. We haven't done it in a while. We're going to get back into it this offseason. And we're getting back into it with the humdinger. What we do is we rewatch an Ohio State game from the past, one that we can find on YouTube or someone else, a full game. And then we have categories. We break it down, stuff about the game, about the players, about the style of the time, about the broadcast. And we talk it out. And we are doing 2005 Ohio State, Texas. And guys, I enjoyed rewatching this. Was This was the first game I ever covered as an Ohio State beat writer. But I had a hard time fitting it into the categories because mm-hmm. there are three things happening in this game. And I think most of the people listening to this remember the game, lived through it. Some didn't. I would recommend it. it's on YouTube. Go find it. The whole three-hour broadcast. One weird thing, it's Gary Danielson, who is now SEC on CBS. Back mm-hmm. then, he was the big-time dude. This is pre-Herbie. So it's Brent Musburger and Gary Danielson on the big time call. Three things happened here. One is the Ohio state linebackers are like superheroes. And we'll talk more about that later, but they're talked about the whole game. AJ Hawk, Anthony Schlegel and Bobby Carpenter look more like professional wrestlers than they do college football players. They are unbelievable. And everyone is mesmerized both by their play and how they, and their style. The second thing is Vince Young. Vince Young is Vince Young. Vince Young is in the argument of the best college football players like of this century. Yeah, and it's yeah, all Vince ever. Young. And, and he's amazing. And the other thing is the fact that this is how Jim Tressel handled his quarterbacks in this game is absolutely <sighs> mind-blowing. <laughs> and if I was 16 years on the beat, Doug Maurice, and not one game into my tenure, Doug Maurice, I would have lit this up. Now, it's obviously complicated. We're not going to relitigate this. Troy Smith had been suspended for the bowl game in 2004. He also set out the opener in 2005. He had taken over the starting job in 2004, but the complication of that sort of mini suspension is what led to this. And again, it's weird. I covered the game, but I didn't cover the buildup of like, who's the quarterback going to be for this number two, Texas versus number four, Ohio state matchup. It was nuts. And Jim Tressel said he was going to do one thing. He told the broadcast, I'm going to do this. Then he kind of didn't do that. Then you thought he was going to stick with the guy. Then he didn't. Then he brought the other guy in. Then he brought the other guy in. And Steven, I think it's possible that if he plays Justin Zwick the whole game, Ohio State wins. If he plays Troy Smith the whole game, Ohio State wins. And like the only way they could lose is by doing this. Yet in the moment, it's not like either quarterback is awesome the whole time or awful the whole time. They both have their moments, but it's that sort of up and down play. Nobody ever got a real rhythm. 
And rewatching it, Stephen, Jim Tressel is an all-time great. What did you think of his handling of the quarterbacks? I hated it then, and I hated it as an 11-year-old. As an 11-year-old, I hated it just because I thought Troy Smith was better and should have been playing. As an adult who now covers this team and knows a little bit more about football than an 11-year-old does, that is exactly why they lost this game. Those quarterbacks had no rhythm. They had no timing with the receivers, and there were plenty of drops that showed for it, and everything was off because there's no way you consistently start drives on your own 45-yard line or are already in Texas territory, and you have one touchdown to show for it. No way. The Ohio State quarterbacks in that game combined 14 of 26 for 163 yards, five and a half yard average, five and a half yards average per attempt, which is just abysmal. One touchdown. Troy ran for 27. Justin ran for 11. Nathan, had you watched this game before, either in the moment when it happened, any memory of it? Listen, it's a big time top four matchup. You might have caught it, or had you ever, like, this is a seminal game in Ohio State history. How familiar were you with it before watching it? Not really that familiar at all. 2000, fall of 2005, I had just arrived in Lafayette, Indiana. I was covering high schools for them. So I was probably at some kind of high school event that day. I, I doubt I was watching college football in any capacity that fall very much on Saturdays. So I, I didn't really have memory of it at the time, but obviously I knew some of the dynamics going into it. I knew who I generally, how good Ohio state was at the time. I obviously knew who Vince young was. So I knew some of those dynamics, but I, I didn't remember watching this at the time. And, and I too, and I didn't read anything before I started rewatching this. I wanted this just to be completely organic. And when they go to trestle on the field and he says, we're going to play them both. And I was like, Oh boy. And again, in a world where Ohio State's in the midst of a quarterback competition, Nathan, like over the course of time, it has sort of come up. What if they don't decide right away? What if they go into the season? And it's like, oh, my God, pick a quarterback in March. I don't just don't do this. This well, is the worst thing. But I do think it's different when he comes out and he says, whoever asks him, are, are you going to play both of them? He says, oh, we absolutely will. But then he, he makes it clear that it's going to be alternating series. It's going to be two on, two off. And then we'll see how it goes or something like that, he says. Right. I think that's different than what we've talked about before, which is like, okay, quarterback A comes out and he plays all but one possession of the first half, but you still get a first half possession for the number two guy to get him real experience early on. That's, that is different. And we've litigated that. I don't sure. want to talk about current quarterbacks anymore. Right. That, by the way, was Jack Root, who had like right. a little Jack bit of spiky Root, right. hair. That's some 2005 Jack Root going there, baby. Yeah. We'll get into There's a Jack Root answer in one of my categories. So I want to get into this because I want to sort of get through the categories so we can talk about it overall, because there is a final thing that is an overriding fact to me, and it's just coincidental. I was on the Columbus radio show with Bo Bishop and James Laurinaitis this morning as I was rewatching it. James Laurinaitis is a freshman in this game. I uh, One of the things I noted in this game is like, A.J. Hawk makes a great play. They go to the sideline. James Laurinaitis is standing next to A.J. Hawk. Bobby Carpenter makes a great play. They go to the sideline. James Laurinaitis is standing next to Bobby Carpenter. And it's like you might think, like, boy, James Laurinaitis loves the spotlight. He keeps standing next to the stars of the game. Except then when you know James Laurinaitis and realize what James Laurinaitis is going to become, he's going over to them to be like, what would you guys do? What would you read there? How would you do that? You're like, he's just absorbing all of that. Because after this year, the next three years, he's an, a, a first-team All-American. So, like – he is absorbing that in the moment, but there is an overriding thing that, again, I covered it. It's interesting to watch this because I don't know that I've watched this since I covered it. 
And I covered it like seriously not knowing the names of the players. I mean, honestly, I was so unprepared for this job. It's unbelievable. As I've said, I worked on a Friday in Wilmington, Delaware, uh, the last day of my job there. When I covered this game, I was not technically a full-time employee of the Cleveland Plain Dealer yet. I covered this on a contract basis. They paid me for the game. I flew to Columbus on Saturday morning. My, my plane from Philadelphia to Columbus was packed with Ohio State fans. And I was like, are, this many, are there this many Ohio State fans in Philadelphia? that fly to this. And what I didn't realize at the moment is like every plane in the country that was going to Columbus on that day was filled with Ohio state fans from all over the country. Cause I didn't have a handle yet on what Ohio state football was. This is the game. I went down. I absorbed script. Ohio I was like, Holy moly, this is it. So I didn't know squat. I just covered like a good football game. I didn't know what it meant. I didn't have the context, the context of this now puts a knot in my stomach on behalf of Ohio state fans puts a knot in my stomach because I will say, then I ended this season. I covered Ohio state Notre Dame in the Fiesta bowl. And then I flew to California and covered USC, Texas in the Rose bowl. And like thinking of those three games all together and how this season could have unfolded in a different way. Again, on behalf of Ohio state fans, a knot in my stomach, our first category though, we do do categories again, if you don't know this game, Texas wins 25-22, which isn't really reflective of it because there was a safety in the final 30 seconds. It was a one-point game. It was 23-22. That's what really mattered. But it's a three-point Texas win. Texas came in ranked number two. Ohio State came in ranked number four. They were both 1-0 when the game started. Steven, who won this game? A.J. Hawk was awesome. In every sense of the word, he was awesome. And it's... Every it seemed like every other snap. Yeah, it's it's the linebackers as a whole, Anthony Shago and and uh, and and Carpenter as well. But AJ Hawk was everywhere. And every other snap, you were hearing his name. Twelve tackles, three tackles for loss, two sacks, an interception, a, a pass breakup, and a fumble recovery. I mean, this is this is what it, for a two thousand and five season. This is like Chase Young having four sacks against Wisconsin. He was everywhere. Nathan, what was your impression of A.J. Hawk? Again, this is a guy who goes on. I mean, this is his last year in college. He's going to be the number five pick in the draft. He's going to have a 10-year NFL career. You know, this Gary Danielson at one point in this game says A.J. Hawk is like a faster Chris Spielman. Like, this guy is an Ohio State legend sort of at his peak in this moment, Nathan. Yeah, and I, again, not really focusing on Ohio State football at that time in my life, but being in the larger Big Ten, just you knew who A.J. Hawk was, and this seems like it would have to have basically been the best representation of that, right? Like just somebody sort of like reaching the height of their powers in so many ways, and just a a phenomenal game. Um, Steven brought up Chase Young's name, and if he hadn't, I was going to, because just in my couple years covering Ohio State, that's maybe the only other defensive player who I've ever seen make – that kind of an impact where they are just maybe the pivotal reason from start to finish why a team wins a game or not. So if I'm occasionally like unappreciative of Pete Warner, this is why I apologize. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. like, Oh, that's what a linebacker can do. And it's like, Oh, you set the bar. And then Laurenitis comes in behind him. And again, I told this story many times. My introduction to Ohio state football is it's this guy. It's AJ Hawk, irreplaceable irreplaceable they can't replace aj hawk and it's like oh no they they can that freshman who was standing next to him being like how do you do this came in and was a three-time all-american so like that's ohio state football to me you have aj hawk he leaves you replace him with james lornitis now aj hawk was will linebacker and lornitis played mike but still kind of same kind of thing nathan who did you have this is our first category if you haven't listened to the retalkables before we stole the idea from bill simmons and the rewatchables we rewatch a game though and then we have categories and our first category is who owned the game 
who owned it. So Steven said AJ Hawk, Nathan, what was your answer? Well, with four minutes to go, it was definitely AJ Hawk. And then the way the game finishes, I second guess that I'm like, can I still give it to AJ Hawk? Obviously he's his is the singular performance that you come out of that game thinking that guy came in and got things done and just really took over the game for long stretches and did things from his position that you're not supposed to necessarily do and then cramming it all into one game. I thought that was phenomenal at the same time, you know, late in that game, they show the quote again that he says, our goal is for Vince Young to leave this game, not being a Heisman trophy candidate anymore. They didn't get that done. Like Vince Young went on and played for a national championship and still had a, the, the season that he was supposed to have. So and in, in that context, can you then give it to – can you say that A.J. Hawk beat Vince Young that day? No. Vince Young won. Mm-hmm. So it's, 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 it's just – it's hard to say that the singular performance – I guess then maybe I, by like a 51-49 vote, I would give it to Vince Young and just say that uh, Ohio State played a great defensive game and Vince Young and what he was able to do with Texas – that still wasn't good enough. They still were able to find a way to win. Vince Young, 18 of 29, 270 yards, two touchdowns, two picks, ran 20 times for 76. They did slow him down late. Mm -hmm. He really got a lot of yards on the ground early on. They were just running single wing early on, and they couldn't stop him. Then they figured it out a little bit. Uh, I said Vince Young. I mean, he, he got it done. That throw, and it's like for a guy, again, it's like he's a, he's a rare, 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 runner at quarterback but he made throws when it mattered and he made a couple throws on the last drive and then the final touchdown pass that got him over the top however they got to that point in the moment he led the game winning drive and he hit multiple throws to do it so i have vince young as owning the game because again i i don't want to say my thing now because i want to save it for the end because vince young i thought had to do a lot of heavy lifting there kind of kind of kind of do what what he had to do um, all right, JT Barrett, underappreciated player of the game, a guy on either side of the ball that made an impact but wasn't the star. Nathan, did you have somebody specifically for this? And then listen, if you just don't have a great fit for the category, because I think there were such specific big-time storylines, but it was hard. I found it harder to find little crevices, like little interesting sidelights. Just say I don't have something, and we'll move forward to the big issues. Did you have one for this? I wanted to give it to Tyler Everett at one point, but I thought that there were as many lowlights that might have taken away from his highlights. Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, like, like that was a lot of the Ohio State secondary in this game was like big play, then just give something up right when you couldn't give it up, right? So I understand that. Tyler Everett, good guy, though. Liked him. So that was so. So who's your? He was your moderate answer for underappreciated player. Yeah, and I didn't know if this was the time to talk about um, Houston. We could talk about him in a different capacity. Yeah, we'll we'll save Josh Houston, the field goal kicker. Stephen, did you have somebody for this? Yeah, yeah. I, I, Antonio Holmes, outside of the fumble that they had to review and whatnot, I mean, he just made the the biggest play of the game for Ohio State's offense, and that's the only touchdown they had when he caught the 36-yarder from Troy Smith. That tied the game at 10-10 when, at the time, Texas was controlling, you know, from a scoring standpoint, we had control of the game at that point. I but, had you know. Antonio Holmes in my, in my uh, Ted Ginn Jr. Uh, speed moment return. of the game. And Ted Jr. was one of them, but Holmes had two kick returns early in the mm-hmm. game. One was called back a little bit, 51 yards, called back a little bit or a chunk of it by an Ohio State penalty. And then he followed up with a 48-yarder. As you said off the top, Stephen, they had great field position all game. And then Ginn himself had a big-time return later that I actually mm-hmm. thought if he made one more cut the right way, 
he could have gone, but he sort of like cut inside when he maybe could have cut outside and he let the last guy who could tackle him, tackle him. I did think that Santonio Holmes as an underappreciated guy here, he, I, I thought both things here and, and it showed you how good this Ohio state team was Ted Ginn jr. Absolute stud, right? And then like Santonio Holmes is just as good at him as him at the same position. AJ Hawk, absolute stud. And like Bobby Carpenter is like practically as good as AJ Hawk at the same position. AJ Hawk winds up being the number five pick. Bobby's also a first round pick. Ted Ginn Jr. winds up being the number nine pick. Not in the next draft, but the one after. Santonio Holmes is also a first round pick. I thought it showed the depth of their talent but I needed to talk about Santonio Holmes because there are moments when Santonio Holmes looks like, I don't know, that's I, there's nothing more I would ask from a college receiver. And he was a more complete receiver than Ted Ginn Jr. was. Ted Ginn Jr. is just dead blazing speed. Santonio, I think, is like some combo of Ted Ginn Jr. and Michael Thomas, right? He's, the, he's kind of the complete guy. And then he ends up being the MVP of the Super Bowl. But if you didn't, I do think, and I only caught him one year because this was his only year. Teddy and, and Gonzalez were here two years that I was here. I didn't realize how good Santonio Holmes was while he was here. I think maybe some Ohio State fans didn't quite realize it because of the presence of Ginn. But he is as good as any receiver I think that Ohio State's ever had. Right? Oh, let's have an argument. Oh, well, Terry Glenn or David Boston or Michael Thomas. I get it. But, like, he is so good because he's so fast. But he also has great body control. He has great hands. He is an unbelievable football player, Stephen. Yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, since I watched this, these teams growing up, uh, it, you're right. He is as good as Teddy. It's just always it was, if you had, if you were going to talk about the wide receivers, you're always going to say Ted Ginn's name before Santonio Holmes' name. That's just how you talked about them. But you want to know who they are? They're Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. Chris Olave is Santonio Holmes, and Garrett Wilson is Ted Ginn Jr. Ted and Chris are uh, Ted and Garrett are clearly the more explosive, probably have the higher ceiling, which is why Ted Ginn's a top 10 pick. We think Garrett Wilson's going to be that why Chris Olave and Santonio Holmes are actually the more complete receivers and are a lot better than we give them credit for. And they're both first rounders. Go watch the Santonio Holmes touchdown. As Steven said, Ohio State's only touchdown of the game. Go watch his kick so, returns. So, just, just watch man. what kind of player he is. Nathan, just now that we're on Santonio Holmes, Again, that's the guy we can't pretend. I mean, he's the MVP of the Super Bowl. I mean, he's an unbelievable football player, both in college and the NFL. But what did you think of watching that guy? No, there was actually another category where I thought I might try to throw his name in if we if we bent it sideways. I don't know if I should wait until we get to that. No, go ahead. It was the um, the, whichever the one the uh, Kenny Guyton Next Man Up Award. Like when Texas comes in, clearly. At all costs, we are not kicking the ball to Ted Ginn. Mm-hmm. But then Santonio Holmes stepping up and doing what he did on those kick returns, I thought was it's not the it's not the letter of the law what that um, yeah what that mm-hmm. category is about, but it, it sort of fits. And I think I didn't think about him for the underappreciated player of the game because again, I know him more for what he did after Ohio State. So I know he wasn't like the star of this game, but he's like a star, like he's Santonio Holmes. So I think that kind of speaks to what you're, you're saying too, that like his, his impact was one of those that grew um, probably at the next level beyond even just what he did Ohio State. In a world where they, you're right. They literally took away Ted Ginn everywhere. They didn't let him do anything on offense. They outside of a couple of kick returns. They didn't let him, they didn't kick to him at all. Santonio Holmes carried all that slack. It is funny. The idea of like, Hey, let's make sure we kick away from the really dangerous guy. 
kick it to Santonio Holmes instead. He's the least dangerous of the two guys back there. Are you kidding me? He looked like he was shot out of a cannon on those two kick returns. He is an unbelievable football player. I just, he is so good. Again, I know we have some audience, right? I mean, if you're 24 and this game was 16 years ago, I mean, maybe, maybe you don't quite appreciate it. Go watch this. There are some unbelievable all-time Ohio State greats playing in this game. It is well worth the three hours. And frankly, you know, you get the little, you watch it on YouTube on your laptop and you get the little keyboards with the fast forward and the rewind and stuff. And you can zip through it in like an hour 15 if you need to. All right, slob moment of the game. I did not think this was an offensive line game on either side. Both teams, when Troy was in and then with Vince Young, a lot of times they were just like, I don't know, snap it to the quarterback and have it ru- have him run. I did not have a moment for this that stood out to me. Then listen, Nick Mangold's the center for Ohio State. He's going to be a first-round pick in the next draft. There's five first-round picks for Ohio State in the next draft on this field right now, in the next draft. And Nick Mangold's one of them. This is a really good offensive line, but I just didn't find a moment. You guys? Yeah, I saw one. One, I want to point out the fact that Ohio State's line was all Ohio guys and Texas's defensive line was all Texas guys. So it's literally Ohio versus Texas. Wow. Um, I just happened to, while they were showing the starting lineups, I just happened to peep that out. There's one moment in the third quarter with 728 left in the game. And I think uh, Antonio Pittman, it's probably his best run of the game where he like springs for an 18 yard run and they pull the left guard over to the right and he takes out a guy, which and while the rest of the guys work in tandem on the other side, that springs a hole and it's first down. I think that it's right after AJ Hawks enters um, fumble recovery, I think. And uh, it springs open for an 18 yard run. It's more, one of the more explosive plays they had in the run game throughout the game. And I, I, that would be my only moment just because of the hole that opened up. Nathan, do you have a slob moment? You know, there were a couple that, that, it stuck out to me uh, one in particular where uh, Rob Sims and Kirk Barton both got into the second level. I thought and were uh, knocking some dudes down on a Troy Smith run. And it reminded me a little bit of what we saw from Ohio state more, I thought in 2019 than 2020. Um, and, uh, but it also kind of made me recognize, like, I think some of those things were there to happen in 2020. If the guys running the ball had been a little bit better that I think J.K. Dobbins makes made some of those downfield blocks stand up a little bit more because he took advantage of them. By the way, so many current Columbus media members in this game. It's like, it's like Kirk Barton, <laughs> yeah. Jay Richardson, uh, Justin Bobby Swift, Carpenter. Bobby Carpenter, A.J. Hawk. Like it is just like it's like everybody. And I just did a thing with Dante Whitner. Dante Whitner like does Fox Sports San Francisco and is like trying to get a national job like these these guys these Corey guys Hall. are are all over the place. Like, and oh, and Anthony Gonzalez is in Congress, and this is an occasional <laughs> podcast, occasional podcast guest. So, I mean, it is it is funny to think about. Uh, so many of these guys have stuck around. The Malik Hooker, where did he come from? Award uh, again. I the, the categories are rough on this one. I, I wanted to talk. I put Antonio Pittman in here, which is not exactly right, but Antonio Pittman had one. 100 yard rushing game the year before in 2004. And this is the beginning of Antonio Pittman becoming the go-to back for the next two years. I think he has five or 600 yard rushing games in this season. He had a hundred yards the week before, but this is like, and again, I don't have a sense of this from the moment. He was not the full-time back. I think it was Lydell Ross the year before he was coming on in spurts, but I thought Antonio Pittman showed things in this game that if you wondered, okay, well it's his turn is he going to be good? It's like, oh, no. Yeah, we 
Ohio State's got a good running back because he had. I mean, you talked about that play, Stephen, his big run for the slob award. He did. He did some stuff. He didn't have a hundred yards in this game, but I thought he did some stuff, which is the kind of stuff that's going to show up even more in two thousand six when he's the go to back for a team that's number one all year. I think his first 15 runs are great. He was averaging like five yards a carry, and that's when he got to 75 yards, and then he got hurt. And, it, and I'll talk about that when we get the next man up and, and whatnot. But it's, once he got hurt, I, it kind of took a little bit of the, the juice out of Ohio State's offense because it was, for what running games were in 2005, five yards per carry is pretty good. And when you don't have that because you're – I mean, we saw it in 2019 what happens when you're running back. It's hurt, and you have to rely on some other things. He got hurt and it threw some things off. But but before that, yes, I think he's a good for the way you're using it. He's a good guy to, to put in this type of award. I didn't go there. I got I kind of maybe this is a stretch. I went with Nate Sally picking off Vince Young based off of Bobby Carpenter's tip pass, because how often do you see it work out that well? Typically, if a linebacker gets a tip and he doesn't and he doesn't catch it, it's just a pass break up and you move on to the next play. But that's a huge play and a huge swing of momentum that, once again, Ohio State didn't capitalize off of. Nate Sally, great dude from Florida, from St. Thomas Aquinas High School, which later yep. produced the Bosa brothers. And when I was talking to some people at Aquinas recently, like Nate Sally's name came up because people at Aquinas still love Nate Sally and people at Ohio State love Nate Sally. And that was a, that was a great dude. He's like a Jordan Fuller kind of guy. Like yeah. he was just like he – he, he, but I mean, and Jordan Fuller's already done more in the NFL than Nate Sally did. He was just like a really good, smart, solid back end safety that you believed in who would show up and make some plays at times. But it's nice to see Nate Sally make a big play in a game like this. Nathan, did you have a where did he come from, Malik Hooker guy? It's always the toughest category for me just because I don't, I usually, when these older games have the least amount of reference, but I, I, Pittman did kind of jump out to me only because. In past, when we've talked about the recent history of Ohio State running backs, I think you had kind of brushed past him. And I think that that's for good reason, uh, just because, you know, you compare him to Ezekiel Elliott or J.K. Dobbins or uh, any number of other guys. It doesn't, you know, Beanie Wells, it doesn't stack up. But I I thought that he looked like he belonged in a game of this magnitude. I think there are tears, tears with him. It's There's the J.K. Dobbins, Ezekiel Elliott, Beanie Wells tier and then there's like what Master Teague and Mike Weber tier I think in between that tier two is where Antonio Pittman lives that yeah no I agree he's not Zeke but he's definitely better than Teague and Pittman and the yeah. tough thing is he's got Beanie coming in right on top of him in 06 mm-hmm. so this is kind of his one year to be the guy kind of by himself Beanie comes in in 06 they do a really good job of integrating that Pittman has a returning starter Beanie's are like a Backup wrinkle has the big run against Michigan, and then Beanie Wells takes over as the guy in 2007 and 2008. But Pittman, I think that's a good way to say it. He's like, he belonged. This is a game of big time dudes, and it didn't feel like they had a hole at running back. Like he was yep. there and he was ready to do his job. All right, we'll take a quick break and come back with some iffy coaching decisions, some style things, and everything else for our Buckeye Retalkables from the 2005 Ohio State Texas game. Doug Lamarie is back with Nathan Baird and Stephen Means. We have the Jim Trestle punt or not to punt moment, which is about a, dis- a discussion about a moment when maybe you were too cautious or you weren't cautious enough. And then there's the Bill Davis, Tim Beck questionable coaching moment. I'm sh- I just shoved everything about the quarterbacks kind of into these both of these categories at the same time. Do we have any objection to combining this and having a quarterback discussion? Um, I think it's, it's got to be – well, we need to at least talk about the quarterbacks, and there, there could be other things. 
I'll I'll throw this one out there very quickly and then let's move on to the quarterbacks. That's what it really people want to talk about. One, they should have been up 24 to 10 at halftime. Two, Bobby had Bobby Carpenter with his hand in the dirt and them going to like a three, three, five look at some point was interesting. On to the quarterbacks we go. Yeah, I want to talk about that too. Um uh, let's talk about that really quick while you brought it up. Cause I wasn't sure where to fit that they come out. That actually is a decent questionable coaching decision. They come out in base and it's like, mm-hmm. Oh, we can't stop Vince young in base. And then they figure out, we'll take a defensive lineman off the field, play five DBs and put Bobby Carpenter as a rush end. And Bobby Carpenter was like Baron Browning before Baron Browning. And Bobby Carpenter yep. was how they should have used Baron Browning. And then they actually got caught a little bit late in the game when Bobby Carpenter. And again, it's weird to watch. They're spread out. They have three receivers with a slot receiver in the game the whole time. And the way they're covering the slot receiver is Bobby Carpenter as the Sam linebacker is out over him with Dante Whitner as a safety behind him. And they're not really putting Bobby Carpenter in man-to-man situations with that slot receiver, but he's got some responsibilities and it's like play nickel. Literally. What, what are you, what is this Literally. play nickel now? Like their three best players, Dante too three of their four best defensive players are linebackers. So you can't take one of the linebackers off the field. So they just make Bobby Carpenter a defensive end. And then it's like, it all works. And there is a play where Bobby Carpenter like draws a double team as a rush end, takes a double team by himself. Mike Kudla circles around and like hits Vince young, which I think is where Hawk gets the pick. And it's like Bobby yeah. Carpenter as a rush end being a beast opens up a million things and it took them two drives to get to that. And in those two drives, Texas went ahead 10, nothing. And it was like, do you think you maybe could have figured out open up in nickel against Vince young, both for the passing game and to have guys in space to chase him. So it was a nice, I don't know if I wish you give credit for the adjustment or be like, why didn't you figure that off of film to open the game with? And by the way, in 2021, there would be no question how you would play a guy like Vince young. It's like, to be honest with you, you almost would have been impressed if the, by the on the first snap of the game, Bobby Carpenter's hand was just in the dirt. Because yep. then you would have been like, oh, well, this is interesting. And then by dri- like drive three, you're like, man, what a genius decision by this defensive coaching staff. Yeah, it's, it's tough because you're playing a great team led by a generational talent. Adjustments will have to be made. But if they had played the first eight minutes, if they played as well defensively the first eight minutes the way they did the last 52 minutes, even, even accounting for that last touchdown, they win this game. They win the game. And they did do that. Like later in the season, like that was their third down look, right? I mean, that was their sort of nickel look is Bobby goes to rush ends, two linebackers. They just didn't get to it fast enough. So it was a different time. And like even Brent Musburger says, I think early on says they don't like to come out of that base defense. And then it took two drives to come out of it because they had to. So that was something that could have gotten too fast with the quarterbacks. The way they end up doing it, Nathan, we, I said off the top, I think if they just stick with the quarterback the whole game, they probably win. Is that too far? Because it is, it's weird. It's like there are times like Troy comes in and gives them a spark. So Justin doesn't do anything for the two, first two drives. By the way, the first drive, Gin drop, Gonzalez drop. Yep, yep. That's not Justin Wick's, Zwick's fault. He hits him in nope. the hands and they go three and out. That's not on him. But yet when Troy comes in, the announcers are talking about Troy gives him a spark and you can see it. And part of it is reminds me a little bit of 2015. I thought Cardale Jones struggled in 2015 because they didn't know how to call plays for Cardale Jones. They were calling JT Barrett offenses for Cardale Jones. So Cardale Jones struggled. 
they lean on the quarterback run so much that when they put Troy in, it just, you could feel Jim Tressel as a play caller being like, okay, now I can let Troy run. Oh, like I can shake it out. And, and when that's not what Justin's wick is, it just like limits them a little bit, but yet Justin, Justin also moved it. And the play we have to talk to at the end, by the way, the fourth thing of this game is the thing I haven't mentioned yet, which is that that shall not be mentioned to Ohio state fans. Cause they know it's coming. It's a Justin Zwick ball, not a Troy Smith ball on that play on the mo- one of the most infamous plays in Ohio state history, which I said, there's three things in this game. That's the fourth, but generally Nathan, just the strategy of it or the lack of strategy. Cause there was a strategy at the start, as you said, and then they started going by feel and it was just weird. Well, but, and again, and, and I don't know how quickly you want to jump to it, but it really didn't strike me as like create. I mean, I started the game thinking, is this going to work? And then there were times where obviously they moved the ball. Well, I would argue it was almost not finishing off opportunities more than not moving the ball. If that makes any sense. Like, I mean, just all the field goals they had to kick in this game when you're playing at home, I think you've got to find a way to have to finish more of those in the end zone. But then when it comes down to the game deciding series of the game, it, it, and it's, it's a much easier to look at this in retrospect too, right? Troy Smith hadn't won a Heisman in, yet in 2005. So you look back on it now, especially me looking at the outside who didn't experience it in real time and say, wait, what? But so w- w- the, that deserves its own conversation is just the that, that single decision to put Zwick on the field in that moment instead of Smith. Well, well let's do that now. So after Vince Young, Vince Young didn't throw the go-ahead touchdown pass with 10 seconds left. Nope. It's no, like it was two and a half or two, three minutes, right? Two, two thirty. He, he, they scored with two thirty-seven left on the clock. So Ohio State has time. They're only down one, and yeah, that's. I think. Four. I think there's almost an indictment, almost no matter what the decision is on the quarterback at that point, because it's sort of like, hey, Vince Young just threw a touchdown pass to put you guys behind with one minute, but but down by one with two and a half minutes left, and you don't know who the quarterback's going to be to come out. Mm-hmm. I think most of us in the moment, if I could, if I have a terrible memory. I think we thought it would be Troy, but it wasn't like the greatest shock in the world that it was Justin, which to me is like, if it could be either of them, you've already failed. Right. I think that's a really good that's way to look problem. at it. In, in the moment, though, as I'm rewatching this game, I'm thinking two and a half minutes in a college football game when all you need is a field goal is an eternity. You don't need a guy to go out there and win it with his arm or game manage you down the field. In fact, putting the guy who. As it happens, if things start to go sideways, you need somebody who can escape more cleanly and turn that play into something. I think that's the guy I'm leaning on there. Or it's that it it, it builds up obviously in that last in that last series. There, the bigger problem is this, and you and you alluded to it when you were talking about calling plays for Cardell versus calling plays for JT Barrett. Is you get into a groove with a football game, even as a play caller and like, okay, this is going to work. So we're going to come back to this at some point, even if like we did it in the first quarter and we don't do it again until six minutes left in the fourth quarter. You can't do that when every two series, it's a new quarterback. And cause now you have to change your call sheet to a whole different set of call, a separate set of plays, but also it kind of makes you a little predictable because if I'm a defensive coordinator, I go, Oh, 12s on the field. We're going to worry about this, that, and the third. Oh, 10's on the field. Oh, we don't have to worry about that anymore. It makes it easier for a defensive coordinator to, to, gain, to, to scheme for you, but also you'd have no rhythm as a play caller, let alone the quarterback and the, and the weapons that are on the field who need to catch passes from them. So I think – so Justin Zwick played the first two series. I think the third series when Troy first came in the game, it was run, run, yep. option, pitch, run. 
And it was like, okay, this is a completely different offense, Stephen, as you just said. The other thing that's weird is, I think in Ohio State history, people think Justin Zwick was the big time recruit. Troy Smith was kind of the athlete, the afterthought. He's a late, he's a you know a lower guy in the class. He comes in. Justin Zwick's kind of anointed. Troy takes over in 04, but like Troy like takes the job from him, right? Yeah. And then Justin Zwick sort of vanishes into history. But now he's in Columbus Media. But like Justin Zwick didn't play terrible in this game. He had three huge drops on throws he made, and he hit some other big time throws. But to your point, Nathan, on the last drive, when it's like, well, it's a little hectic. If stuff breaks down, let's go with the guy who can make something happen when it breaks down. You end up the game ends because Justin Zwick is forced to scramble. And then when he scrambles, he gets hit and fumbles and the game ends. And it's like, man, once the pocket broke down, it's like, there's no question. I'd rather have Troy try to escape than Justin. And if it's Troy in the game right there. Maybe instead of a fumble, he runs for 18 yards and a first down, and you're rolling. I mean, long before the ball comes loose. I mean, that thing is, again, I'm watching it for the first time that I can remember. And almost from the time that he starts to get flushed out of the pocket, you're like, well, this is bad. Uh, and and it's, it's, the, it's the exact thing that Ohio State didn't need to happen at that point. And then, obviously, once the fumble happens, then it's, it's off to the races. All right, so what what should Jim Trestle have done? Again, it was complicated by the fact that Troy's coming off a suspension. He didn't play the bowl game. He didn't play week one of this season. The idea that you're going into week two with two quarterbacks is nuts to me. Troy had already been the hero of a Michigan game, though. I mean, he had won the job and been really good at the end of 04. I, I don't know if Trestle was still trying to send a message, but Troy's better right? Troy is better than Justin. He's already shown that just, you just go with Troy. Like you just say, Justin, you played because Troy had an issue. Thank you for taking care of that. But Troy won the job last year. He's our quarterback. Now I, I think there's right. I mean, maybe it's like, Oh, well, Jim Trestle, no, Jim Trestle cared about doing things the right way more than that. And he wouldn't do the easy thing, but in retrospect, Nathan Manis, isn't it? Maybe you look at it that way. Just play Troy from the get-go. You, you punish the guy. I think that that's important. I think there's there needs to be accountability. You give him a suspension. He serves the suspension. And then at that point, there's also accountability to the coach to put the entire team in the best position to win. And that means you play the best player. Like this, this suspension, this punishment can't just linger into perpetuity. Like he served his suspension, served his punishment. Um, unless you're going to kick him off the team altogether, as long as he's still on the team and ready to play and able to play, then I think you establish that guy as the guy and you move forward. Uh, I think that's the mistake. This idea that you, you let yourself get confused as to what the priority is supposed to be. The priority there cannot be any more like lesson teaching, all that stuff. Once the games have started, it's about winning the games. I think it's funny that this is all a result because Troy Smith took some money and college athletes aren't allowed to get paid. That's that's part of that's the funny part here. I would have understood if more if Justin's wick the week before, even if it was against Miami of Ohio, would have had 350 t- passing yards and four touchdowns. Because then it's like, hmm, maybe Justin got a lot better in the last six months. He had 155 yards and a touchdown against Miami of Ohio, and they won the game 34 to 10. No, I'm mean, 34 to 14. Excuse me. Nothing about that should have made you confused about who your starting quarterback is. And if Troy Smith wasn't ready to go out and help you win a game, then he shouldn't have been playing at all. 
But if, if you're decided through your evaluations, through practices, that he's ready to go help you win a game, then and he's the better quarterback, then that's who should play. I think you also, if, if the optics come into account here, then if, if Troy Smith had been the starter, had been the guy they'd just gone with that game, and he went out and like laid an egg, then I think in history that would have as much been reflected on Troy Smith. Yeah, this is a little bit, I mean, again, Jim Tressel is Jim, Jim Tressel. This might be his worst coaching decision of his Ohio State career when it comes to like coaching the team. I think he tried to have it both ways and he had it, he ended up having it zero ways, right? Well, I want to, I want to give Justin his chance and be fair to him, but get Troy back involved or whatever. And like you said, Ethan, I think there's punishment and then there's the games. And if you're punished, you can't play or you're out for a half or whatever. But then once you're back, once you're back in and the suspension or the punishment is over, then just, I, I think like you said, right. They play the best guys. And that, that's not what they did. And like Steven, Troy wasn't great, but I think if Troy would have played more, he would have gotten better mm-hmm. as the game went on. And I think the result was, he drops a ball in the bucket, a 45-yard throw for the only touchdown to Santonio Holmes. And the rough thing is they run the same play in the fourth quarter. Single coverage. Santonio Holmes beats his guy, and Justin Zwick throws it out of bounds. And that's not a rip on Justin, but it's like, man, like Troy dropped it right there. Justin missed that throw. But it's like nobody got a rhythm. I think if Troy had played the whole game, Fourth quarter Troy, even this early in his career, Stephen, I think fourth quarter Troy could have outdueled Vince Young if he was rolling by then, but he wasn't rolling. I think I agree. I think his first two series would have looked like Justin's Wicks just because he hadn't played a football game in eight months. And so you just as fans, you probably would have been like, oh, what's going on here? But as a coach, you have to like stay a little patient and let him find his rhythm out there. And I agree by the fourth quarter, that offense would have been rolling, especially coming off maybe in the second quarter, some of those field goals or touchdowns, because you're rolling off of that, you know, 36 yarder. You just threw it to Antonio Holmes and you've got things rolling. So to the point of bringing this into the future, you, you just said it, this is probably Jim Trestle's worst coaching decision. And it was about playing two quarterbacks when he shouldn't have done it. Urban Myers worst was probably playing two quarterbacks when he shouldn't have done it. So here we are. Which, Ryan Day. <laughs> I mean, and, I, and I've said, I mean, Ohio State has a history of screwing up quarterback decisions. Yeah. Like that is, that's just facts. Joe Germain and, and, uh, and Stanley Jackson yep. and John Cooper in the mission game. I mean, like we can go through. They have lost games. They have lost absolutely backbreaking all time games. And the number one culprit has been because they screwed up the quarterback choice. And usually they screwed it up by not making a choice. So Ryan Day, like the quarterback whisper, heed the lessons of history. And I, it's why I wrote in 2015 that like the only bad decision is no decision. Make a decision and go with the guy. And the minute they thank Cardale Jones three series into the Hawaii, the Hawaii game, they were done. So, um, OK, I think we've covered that. Is everybody anything to add on quarterback right now? No. All right. I think, we'll I think that covers it. Yeah. Uh, Kenny Guyton next man up award. Did a guy get hurt and need replaced? Is there a guy filling in for a star who graduated from last year? You had mentioned this, Stephen or Nathan, you kind of had this category covered. If we want to talk about Josh Houston here, we can, they did talk about on the, on the, I mean, Mike Nugent is maybe the best kicker in Ohio state history. And Josh Houston had been like here during Nugent's whole career mm. as like the other guy. And Mike Nugent's a first round pick as a kicker. It's unheard of. It's insane. 
absolutely bonkers insane, by the way. The NFL used to be so dumb. He was a first round pick, right? Am I making that up? Um, I, th- I think he was a first round pick. Maybe it was a I second didn't know he was a first rounder. I know that Janikowski was a first rounder. I don't know if he was a, I don't know if New Jersey Maybe was a second rounder. rounder. Still very high. Maybe I said that wrong. Out. Very like high. Premium on research here. Very um, high. No, no, he, yeah, he, he was a second round pick, the 47th pick, which is okay. still ridiculous. Very yeah. high. Very high because he was so good. He was so good. Josh Houston comes in as this veteran guy, five for five on field goals, just like practically owns the game and then misses the 50-yarder that would have iced it, Nathan, by like a foot. You're asking a lot with the 50-yarder. It's a good kick. Sometimes when you try to kick it far, you shank it. He wasn't short. He had the distance, and it was like a good, solid kick. It was just like wide right by a foot. He had an unbelievable game. But if he makes that, he's like a legend. And instead, it's like, wow, that's why they have a six-point lead instead of a nine-point lead. And you crack the door on Vince Young, and Vince Young storms through. Yeah, I, I feel a little bit – I had some empathy for him there because I think there was everything you could have wanted from that performance he gave you. I don't look at that 50-yarder as being – I mean, obviously, yes, it would have iced the game. But if you're looking for blame, I would say, okay, how about we – if you're Ohio State, maybe he doesn't have to kick one of those first five and you turn that drive into a touchdown, and then it's not on the – freshman kicker to kick a 50 yarder at the end of the game. No, but he's not a freshman, a veteran. He's like a veteran veteran guy who's been around forever waiting for a shot, but a first time guy. Yeah. It's really good. He's really good. It's rough because of who he's replacing. It's you're, I think to the logic that Nathan just pointed out. Yeah. If Mike Nugent doesn't is abducted by aliens um, years ago, and that's never even a factor, then yes, we're at that position where the logic comes in and it's a lot more blame on, I mean, you had the dude kick five field goals already that he shouldn't have been kicking in the first place. Of course, his leg is probably tired and he can't make a a 50 yard field goal at the end of the game. But because he's replacing Mike Nugent, who is basically the first round pick for what a kicker is as a second round number 47 pick. Of course, the New York Jets took him. It's it's look, we put a lot more blame on Houston than anybody else. Yeah. And I also think that even if the reason it's really unfair is that even if Nugent was there as great as he was, it's still a 50 yarder in college, which is like not even a 50, 50 proposition really. But it's funny. Again, I'm not trying to like, I'm just saying when I was on the radio show with James Laurinaitis, who's on the team for that game. And I were talking about, they said that somebody had done a list of like the best college, the 50 best college football teams of the last 50 years who didn't win a title. And I was like, well, let me tell you about the 2005 Buckeyes right away. And Lauren, I was like, yeah, yeah, we did this. We missed a field goal. It's like mm. one of the first things he said. It's like, well, you also made five. Yeah. And then yeah. you missed a 50 yarder. But yet that is part of it because it's the field goal that would have made it from six to nine. Make it a two score game and like and it, mm. it missed by a foot. So that's really tough. But Josh Houston did his job. Josh, five of six and you're only missed is 50. You're doing your job. He did his job that night. Um, anybody else for Kenny Guyton next man up? Josh Houston was obviously number one for me. I'm just going to throw Brandon Schittner in there just because once uh, Antonio Pittman got hurt, he had to come in. Now, they didn't have him do anything but block. It's just like for the sake of what this category is, somebody gets hurt and somebody has to step up. He just happened to step up. Also, not a Beanie Wells is the backup tailback at that point. Yes. Yes. More importantly, there is not a five-star where you could just be okay. Yeah. All right. The John Cooper, if a bite, a bite is a pup award. It's talking about like young players, right? Um, yeah. A couple guys, I, I, again, I made 
Laurinaitis is there on the sideline. Malcolm Jenkins is in the game as a true good. freshman. When they go nickel, Malcolm Jenkins is the guy who comes in. And one of the biggest plays is that he plays some off coverage on like a third and 13 mm-hmm. and, and gives up a big first down throw from Vince Young when Vince Young made like four throws in the fourth quarter that they had to have. And Malcolm Jenkins goes on to be, again, one of the great all-time Buckeyes. Um, and then Jamal Charles, as a freshman for Texas, he's just long and skinny, man. And he is a true freshman in game two. He doesn't do a ton. As a junior, two years later, he rushes for 1,600 yards. And then he gets to the NFL, the Kansas City Chiefs. He has 5,000-yard seasons in the NFL. And this is like the beginning of Jamal Charles, which when you know it's a guy who's going to be on and go on and be a great player at both levels, it's kind of cool to see him here. Charles throw- is my pick because it's funny. You have to watch these games with the commentary because – it's just, you know, the first time he gets the ball, it's like, oh, that's a little pitch to Charles, the freshman running back, and then you just move on to something else. Like, oh, Jamal Charles, who's going to, like, electrify the NFL for, like, multiple years. Just, yeah, man, there's this guy. He's a freshman. Moving on. I'll throw a couple more guys in there. He didn't play in this game, but he's on this roster. Brian Robisky is on this roster. And Todd Beckman are on this roster as well, which is just crazy. Um, but then the big one I want to throw out there, obviously his NFL career wasn't to the level Malcolm Jenkins and Jamal Charles's were. But, I mean, the guy until Chase Young came in here and strip-sacked his way to the record, held the record for most sacks in a season for Ohio State football player, and that's Vernon Golston, and he played in this game, and he had a tackle. Young Vernon Golston, young Vernon Golston, yeah, who in two years is going to set the world on fire and be right. top 10 pick. Ted Ginn Jr. speed moment. I had the kick returns. Did anybody else have a different thing that flash of speed? Again, Ted Ginn Jr. shares his own award in my mind with Santonio Holmes here. The kick returns. Um, I gave some a shout out to Michael Huff on Texas for hawking down Santonio Holmes and what looked like it could have been a touchdown if he makes one more cut. And then Vince Young, second and five on the opening drive when he goes Vince Young on, I think, the best run he had of the game. I thought the most impressive Ted Ginn moment in some ways was the one where he didn't return the kick, but then ran up and like caught it was like Justin Fields and yeah. Trey Sermon last year. He runs up and catches San Antonio Holmes and then gets ahead of the play and gets the 15 yard penalty for getting like blocked in the back or whatever mm-hmm. at the end of the play. I thought that was pretty neat. And then uh, I had Vince Young's uh, for the speed moment, I had Vince Young's legs and also Vince Young's lips because he was just from the beginning of this game was just jabbering and talking trash. And <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. I was like, oh, that's 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 I, I miss that. I miss that oh. like aspect of being able to watch a game and kind of see that in a way that we can't really as we're watching a game from the stadium a lot of times. Speaking of that, since you guys are old and I'm not, when did the rule come into effect that when you lose your helmet, you have to come off the field? Because he lost his helmet and was talking trash. It's he didn't have to come recent. off the field. Okay, cool. Because I would say within like the, the last half. ten years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, Vince. He Vince Young is a sight to behold. Um. All right. Well, take it was another- in your lifetime, Stephen. It was in like you. your adult lifetime. They instituted yes. that rule. I've only been an adult for like six years, you know. So, all right. Quick break. We'll wrap it up here on Buckeye Retalkables. Uh, style check, meme it, game saving moment, and then does this look like a championship team next on Buckeye Talk? All right. Style check here. I just had the linebackers. They have the, the armbands right above their elbow. They've all it. got the hair. I definitely asked questions and wrote stories about their hair. They look like the road warriors. Like they look like James Laurinaitis, dad is the one who is a professional wrestler. And it's like, is this a three man tag team event with Schlegel Carpenter and Hawk? 
and they just have like the famous photo that they even showed from USA Today mm. during the game, like them with Schlegel in the middle going, ah, and Hawk and Carpenter next to him. And it's just like a snapshot of like that moment in sports and that moment sort of in, in culture. Like they, they are, they're just very cool. And they've just got that long hair armband swag that drips. Those three are legends to me, man. Um, the skull, uh, Vince Young skull cap. I love anybody who wore a skull cap back then. Yep. I just love how that skull cap has now evolved into the headband that players wear because everybody has hair now. So that's just evolution of, of, of style on the football field. So it's that. And then anytime I see a cowboy collar, I got to I got to shout it out. I think I think it was Laurinaitis with the cowboy collar on. Okay, that's always yeah. great. I, I had some of that linebacker stuff too, and then also, I mean, you can't. We got to mention the sweater vest every time the sweater vest shows up. Oh, I feel yeah. like. And it's, it's, you know, at some point, maybe this is a podcast. Like, does Ryan Day have enough style? I feel like, I feel like we've gotten away from like the time when head coaches had like this personal style. And can you be a truly legendary coach if there isn't a little bit of style in there? Does, I think he'll let you, I think if you ask him, he'll say it's his Air Maxes because he gets like the custom Air Maxes, but I don't know if that's enough. That might not be enough, but we can do a story on that. We can definitely do a story on that. Um, I also did think, I don't know where this fits in. We saw young Gene Smith. I was going to say that. Yeah, I should have brought it up with the if he'll bite as a pup. It's like, listen, he had no, he had nothing to do with this Texas game, but he's going to have everything to do with all the non-conference games that come up. And, and, I, and I liked it. I didn't really realize it until I rewatched it that, that was, they unveiled the Woody Hayes mm-hmm. part of the Ring of Honor that like Gene Smith was like had been on the job like a year and was like, I didn't. Where's Woody Hayes in the stadium with retired numbers? And now that, that thing's right there. We see it every day, every time you're in Ohio yeah. Stadium. And the idea of that not being there is weird. They unveiled it at that game, Woody Hayes up in the Ring of Honor. And then again, that Ohio State had been doing it. You know, they'd played North Carolina State. They'd had some, they played UCLA. They had been doing this non conference thing, but like Jack Aroot, who was his own style check in himself, again, asked Gene Smith, like, hey, are we going to keep seeing these? And Jim was like, oh, yeah. And they do. I mean, they they play one every single year. There's no doubt they play one every single year. But it did feel like the way they were talking about it in the moment, because even Brett Musburger was like, hey, these big time powers, they'd rather be playing Appalachian State than dealing with like a big non-conference game. If you lose the game, it's going to knock you out. It's the norm now, but it wasn't quite as normal back then. This felt like a big deal that these were two national powers playing the second week of the year. It was a made a bigger deal because it was the first time those two teams were meeting. And I think that was what the, the magnitude of it was. It wasn't like you said, they played UCLA and some other teams in the past, but we're talking about Ohio State and Texas. You know, I don't know how often those types of games were happening, especially when it was a home and home and not necessarily a neutral site. Um, all right. Meme it. I thought the Texas guy tries to run the ball yeah. out of the end zone on the kickoff. Yep. stops himself, <laughs> tiptoes on the line. Antonio Smith misses the tackle in the end zone for the safety, and then he runs it out 40 yards. Almost felt to me like the Alonzo morning on the bench, like, oh, this is bad. You know what? It's not so bad. Like, kind of like, oh, like, you know, that he's about to fall off the edge of a cliff. And he almost, he, he tiptoes over the edge, almost gets tackled, and then runs 40 yards. Yep. I felt we could do something with that in a meme. 
Yeah, I, I thought that was a good one. Um, one that jumped out to me, it wasn't even from this game, but they're showing highlights from other games and the way the South Carolina-Georgia game ended. And it's just Steve Spurrier, like looking out at the field, smiling, even though the game just ended on a loss for them. Like they just failed at, at the end of the game. Just like that. I don't know. There's something very memeable about Steve Spurrier's face. The safety was mine. But then, yeah, when they randomly cut to the Georgia game and then Jamarcus Russell, man, when he was oh, yeah. good. Jamarcus Russell. I also I did have the one when Jack Aroot was like, I'm holding the video cassette of Vince Young's high school yeah. highlights. And Mac Brown put this video cassette in the VCR and said, Vince, play like you were in high school. And I was like, is that really the exact VCR tape? Come on. That's like a you 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 recorded China Beach and then put that held that up, Jack Aroot. But the Beach. idea of like <laughs> I, I think you're about I think you're about ten early? years late on China Beach. Yeah. I loved China Beach. And you love Dana Delaney. I loved Dana Delaney, but I also love China Beach. I like warships. That that idea, but also like that, like Jack Aroot was like, this is the height of technology. This videotape holds the secret to Vince Young's success. I'm going to do that. Waving a VCR tape in the air. I'm going to be like, I'm like, on my laptop, I have the embed code to Quinn Ewers' Texas high school football film. And when I put it in this document, I can press play and watch Quinn Ewers throw the ball at South Lake Carroll. It's like Jack Aroon. It's just highlights, man. Like, what are you? (laughs) Well, now you can't even do it. It'd be like, this is the thumb drive. And it's like, they'd have to like zoom in real close on it. This is the code to plug in to the. Okay. So um, Maurice Claret game saving moment. Like I almost had to miss field goal. Is that, I mean, there were a couple of things, obviously the Vince Young touchdown pass, the Justin Zwick fumble, Nathan, what'd you have? There were just a couple of like near miss things. And there actually weren't even like things that did happen. There were things that could have happened. I thought the, so early on in this game, it might've, was it the first drive where your booty gets that PBU in the end zone? And they were kind of lauding at the time, like, Oh, great job of playing that ball by him. I think it should have been a pick. And I think that takes points off the field, points off the board for Texas. And that alone maybe makes a difference on OSU winning this game. Also, there was a bad OSU personal foul on the long kicker term before halftime that I think might have set up points for Ohio That's, State. That was terrible. 30 seconds left. Yeah. And they return the kick okay. Chad Hubler shoves somebody at the end of it. They get a 15-yard penalty. They have three timeouts now. They're practically at midfield. They almost sack Vince Young. He throws like a little crossing route to Charles who gets like 20 yards after the catch and they get a free field goal, which guess what? It yep. mattered, but that was a bad 15 yard penalty. That, so that, those that were was. game saving moments. Those were game costing moments from Ohio state's perspective. Yep. I think that I, I don't know if this counts, but I mean, Texas's defense holding up every time they gave up great field position, to Ohio state and Texas turned the ball over. I mean, that's, those are those pile up obviously and lead to a win. It's that, and then it's um, Justin Zwick throwing the Hamby where it, like, hits his hands and then pops up, and then he tries to catch it again and still can't catch it. Oh, that's the moment. That's the moment we have yeah, to I talk know. about. It. I, mean, I, I know. Great, this, it, I, we have to get there. So It's the great I – mean, yeah, this is a great place for it. I mean, it's the yeah. great – like, in your head, if you forget, it's like, oh, the Hamby drop. And it's like, well, it's in the third quarter. It yeah. wasn't, like, in the last two minutes of the game, but it was right at a point where it was, like, would have been a touchdown. It turns into a field goal instead. So it's not a seven-point swing. It's a four – but it hits him. It hits him in the hands more. It hits him in the hands and body. Like he's practically yeah. cradling it. It's a perfect route. It's a perfect throw by Zwick. And again, in a game that was basically a one-point game, wound up a three-point game. Like that four-point swing is huge. I mean, again, if we did ever, we would never do this. This is not fun. But like the ten biggest 
10 most Clubs. important mistakes the, in Ohio State football history. It's in the top five. Yeah. I mean, that play has a legacy. I was just doing a uh, story a couple months ago about name, image, and likeness and um, social media stuff. And Gene Smith was talking about athletes who've had those attacks before. And he brought up Hamby getting like death threats for dropping this touchdown pass in the third quarter of a non-conference game in September or whatever. And like it, it just being kind of the, the dark side that occasionally creeps back into this. Okay. So we had to talk about that. That was, that was obvious. And that, that was, that was maybe the number one. I, again, there were, there's a big list of them though, but it is, it's not yeah. game saving. It's game changing or game blowing um, because does this look like a championship Ohio state team, which is everything that I've been building to Ohio state was better than Texas. Yep. Like it's not even close. They're better on the field. And when you run through the players on the teams, it's like Vince Young and like Michael Griffin was a high pick, you know, like Jamal Charles would get there. But like Ohio State is just stacked with stars. They have Troy Smith and Antonio Pittman and then Santonio Holmes and Ted Ginn Jr. and Anthony Gonzalez and Nick Mangold. And AJ Hawk and Anthony Schlegel and Bobby Carpenter and Dante Whitner and Ashton Yabuti, who was a third round pick. Like they are absolutely stacked. They are better than Texas at 21 of the 22 positions. And Vince Young single handedly, not single handedly, Vince Young is 50% responsible for Texas winning this game. And the other 50% is Ohio State handing Texas the game repeatedly, Nathan. Like I just, that's the knot in my stomach. I didn't realize it to this degree. Texas wins the national championship by beating what people were calling the greatest college football team ever. And Ohio state was clearly better than Texas. So it's like by transitive transitive property, it's like Ohio state 2005 is the greatest college football team. Like the whole Texas USC showdown thing could have been Ohio state USC. All that buildup. And Troy Smith maybe could have been Vince Young like a year early. Like I can't, this seems like a much more egregious missed opportunity more than I realized. And I did realize it. And everybody listening to this is like, duh, Doug, welcome to reality. Nathan, it's hard to watch Ohio state. I've said just off the cuff, Ohio state 2005, I think might be the best team I've covered. I feel like this reinforces it. I think Ohio state 2005, like beats Ohio state 2014. They are so good. And if they just played Troy, because they're going to show how good they are the rest of this year. And they still lose to Penn State. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. But so. Penn State also in the playoff era, in the regular season, USC finishes one, Texas two, Penn State yeah. three, Ohio State four. So Ohio State's fourth with two losses to two and three. If it was the playoff era, that's your playoff. And this team, I think, could have won the national championship. It's like, all right, well, you got to go through USC and Texas to do it. It's like, okay, do you see who they have? It's it's heartbreaking, Nathan, that this team was not a national championship team to me because they are so talented, and you can see how they let this slip away in this game 10 different ways. But then that's – so then the devil advocate says, and so then how are you answering the question? Like, it looks like a championship team, but then when you're when you are that talented, you have all that going for you, and you get to play that team at home, you've got to finish the job to be a championship team, right? No, Texas but went I, on the road and finished I the job. I, that's why they were the championship team. I think a good way to say it, because you can say it just like you do with 2015, this is, tw- this is champ- national title winning talent who 
didn't necessarily always make national championship winning decisions by the coaches. Th- this this compares to me to the 2019 team because I, this game feels a lot like that Clemson loss that Ohio State's kicking field goals early when it feels like they should yeah. be putting the game away and they're so supremely talented. And then it's like each the opponent, whether it's Vince Young or Trevor Lawrence, has a great quarterback who sort of finds a way to win in the end. But like to the point of, but Nathan also, it's like as much as a bunch of things went wrong, right? If they jet the, the, the quarterback situation is kind of uniquely screwy that the guy who won the job the year before got suspended and was almost sort of like still a little bit suspended. That is a particular thing that we've put on Jim Tressel. But even like in 2015, they just messed stuff up game after game after game after game and didn't look like a championship team. These guys were great this year. And they just had a generational talent at quarterback on the other team who made them pay for the mistakes they made in this game. And the number one mistake was the quarterback thing. But Nathan, I think this is, is this not like, this is a great Ohio state team. No, I still say, yes, it it looks like a championship team. I'm just saying that I, I, I understand the argument that someone would say that like, this is what decides whether you really are a championship team. Like who rises in this morning? I mean, this is a zero sum game and the, the structure of college football and especially the structure in 2005 gave you no room for error. Yeah, no room yeah, for error at all. No room for error at all. So you say, yes, Stephen, they're a championship team. Does it look like yeah. it? Okay. Yes. All right. So then our final two categories are the enjoyment meter, scale of one to a thousand for the average college football fan and then for an Ohio State fan. For the average college football fan, I think this is a thousand. It's two versus four. It goes down to the final minute. It is littered with stars. It's prime time in one of the great venues in college football. It set a record for Ohio Stadium attendance at the time. Like, Steven, like when you talk about major non-conference matchups, like this is the perfect one. I think the game lived up to the hype with an asterisk. And I think the asterisk is literally just because I've seen how college football has evolved, especially offensively. So to watch it now versus watching, you know, Alabama, Ohio State national title game, I'm going to be a little skewy. But yes, this lived up to everything it was supposed to be as a top five matchup and the first time two powerhouse programs play each other. It does feel like the offenses are a little rudimentary. Yeah. This is not Steve Sarkeesian RPOs, get all your playmakers involved. That Like Gary Danielson keeps begging Ohio State to throw more bubble screens to Ted Ginn Jr. Yeah. <laughs> there is not a lot of sophisticated passing on either side in this game. And I think it's a little bit about the quarterbacks because it was still young Troy and it was Vince still coming along a little bit. Again, Vince Young made throws when he needed to. Um, but this is also play calling. This is not really sophisticated Steve Sarkeesian, Ryan Day play calling. It's not, uh, forget Steve Sarkeesian, Ryan Day. This is not even Tom Herman play calling. So much QB power, quarterback draws, speed options. I mean, like Warner, it was to the point that when they did like a read option, you weren't even, like the announcers weren't even calling it read options. They were just saying it was a fake fake handoff and Vince Young would just keep it. So it's just from that. It was just interesting to watch. It's like, man, this is some terrible play calling, but it really wasn't for that time. Yeah. yeah for that's why I, I scored a nine sixty seven, and it was partially because I think we need to factor in the rewatchability of games as much as the, Bingo. in the moment. And I think it might suffer a little bit because of that. That's why it's nine fifty for me. Yeah. And if you watched it in 2005, it was a thousand out of a thousand. Yeah. Looking back on it from the future, 
in the future, they will have plays that can be a pass or a run. And at the line of scrimmage, the quarterback decides what to do. It's like, what? I mean, it would blow your mind. Troy did do a couple of those things, which to me is the signature Troy play, which is to take it from the shotgun, run like one step to the side, take two steps forward like you're going to run, and then mm-hmm. drop back. And he had he hit Gonzalez. He hit Anthony Gonzalez for a big play mm-hmm. on one of those. That is Troy to me because he just tucked his body a certain way when he did that. He's uh, certainly enough of a run threat to draw the defense in. He's play actioning to himself. And then he drops back and yeah. then he can just rip it. And that Troy just killed people the next year and the rest of 2005 doing stuff like that. So, but there wasn't a ton of it. I mean, again, Ohio state's quarterbacks threw for 163 yards. This is not exactly a high flying offense. There's some, there's a, some great Ohio state defense here though. Justin right. Fields has had 163 yards in one quarter. I feel like at one point. Oh no. Yeah, I, I know. It is funny. Also. I mean, but like they, it's, it's, for them, they look great, too. I mean, we didn't talk about the uniforms. These are just the great Ohio State uniforms with the gray stripe on the sleeve yeah. and, like, the big numbers and the, the Texas uniforms look awesome. They just look awesome. The Texas color scheme. I think the Texas oh. color scheme is fantastic. The they one just, thing that I, that's interesting is, is, especially when they would show highlights of other games, is, and maybe this is an obvious statement, but college football is, like, the one place where uniforms don't really evolve much. Obviously, Ohio State doesn't wear those stripes every single game. It's more of a postseason thing. But when you really think about it, even in college basketball, the uniforms change over time. A lot of these programs that even like the Alabamas of the world and the Ohio States of Texas, they've been wearing the same exact uniform for 70 years. It's just the colors are a little brighter because, you know, technology is different. And the ones that do adjust, like all those stupid neon uh, feathers that Oregon wins, they shouldn't. You hate Oregon. I love first, first of all, Oregon's uniforms. And I'm in high school. 2010 are the greatest things in the world. But now, yeah, you're wrong. wrong. That was a little. It's too much. It's too much. Like, Nathan giving Mario Cristobal <laughs> bulletin board material. <laughs> this Ohio State writers said we wear feathers. They do. Never, Go look at them. They, they do wear done. feathers. <laughs> like, All right. Yeah, look like a. They've drawn on with a highlighter. Um, is it okay. Buckeye enjoyment meter so now? Buck, Buckeye enjoyment meter. Um, for Ohio State fans, well, I'll be curious to hear from texters or tweeters about this if they do go back and driven by this podcast, do rewatch it of whether they enjoy it or not, because this is crushing. (laughs) This is like crushing for Ohio state fans. How good this team was. It's fun to watch Santonio Holmes and and Anthony or an AJ Hawk and Anthony Schlegel and Ted Ginn jr. And Troy Smith do their thing. It is crushing that they didn't win this game. So I gave it a 200. I think Ohio state fans walk away from this game, like having like theoretically enjoyed it, but feeling sick. So I just don't know how high it can be. I scored it at the time I was trying to, I, so it, there's the score that day, as we were saying before, and then there's the score in retrospect. So the score that day, my, my initial reaction was like a three thirteen. Like you're obviously just devastated. You lost this game. There is still hope, right? I mean, you could get back into it with one loss. You, if you, if you run the table, then maybe you have a chance to get yourself back in that conversation. You went up against this amazing team with a great player. You lost by really what was one point. Uh, so maybe there's something to be salvaged from that. If you're rewatching it, um, I think it's like a 127. Like there's just hardly anything here other than AJ getting to reminisce about AJ Hawk and getting to watch uh, Houston kick all those field goals. There's not a lot to take away. I mean, you know, get to watch Ted Ginn Jr. But my God, like you look back now with like what could have been in the back of your mind, and it just the, the rating plummets. 
I gave it a 50. And it's because <laughs> one, you lost. Two, this is BCS era, so there's no way you're getting back into the hunt of things for a national title. I don't care if you only have one loss, because as we know, e- even in the moment, you know that. Now we know USC and Texas went wire to wire, but even before that, listen, it, it, it's hard with the BCS era to get back into the thick of things, even if you're undefeated, which is why we're in the playoff era. Two, I think we're headed in that direction of people getting tired of Trestleball. And this is trestle ball at its peak. You being on the 45 yard line of your opponent and you're kicking field goals. That's trestle ball to the extent of it. So we're, we're headed in that direction and you lost, you know, I don't know. It's a great game, but it's like everything as a fan that you would want to take from this game is negative almost. You know, I think of it as like in terms of uh, like political speeches and stuff, they'll have those focus groups and they'll have the dials. And like as you're watching it, you like turn the dial up or down based on whether you agree with it or or like how you're enjoying it. And I feel like it would have been there would have been some ups and downs, but pretty steady. And then I just imagine like Justin Zwick going back on the field for that last possession and and the the dials go and it just like falls off of the screen. If Twitter existed back then, there would have been a hashtag fire trestle. It's hard, man. And the one thing that I think is the saving grace is that they were so good in 2006 because you watch this team when they did the, the starters at the beginning of the game. Seven of the 11 defenders were seniors. And then mm-hmm. Dante Whitner and Ashton Yabodi both go pro as juniors. So they have like they lose practically their whole defense. They lose all the linebackers, right? A bunch of guys up front. They lose Santonio Holmes to the first round. They lose Nick Mangold to the first round. Again, they have five first round picks, Holmes, Mangold, Carpenter, Hawk, and Whitner off this team. And yet with that super young defense, because of guys like James Laurinaitis and Malcolm Jenkins, who were freshmen in this game. And because you get Troy back and Teddy back and Anthony Gonzalez back, you go wire to wire as number one and to the national championship game. So then you have another heartbreaking loss, but I do think the fact that like, you know, you lost a lot of talent from this team. And again, I think the 2005 team is better than the 2006 team, but 2006 then goes down and avenges the Texas loss. They beat Cole McCoy in Austin. They run the table. They avenge the Penn state loss. Cause this team in 2005 also loses Penn state. And then you get to that point, you're number one. And then we know what happens, but that makes up for it a little bit, right? That like, this wasn't like the end of Ohio state's opportunity in this era. But you just think about, you know, kind of like how 2020 made up for 2019. I mean, we talked a lot about the Clemson. Yeah. Man, there's a lot of similarities here of like that 2005 is 2019. And then 2020 was 2006, right? That you avenged mm-hmm. the loss. They came back and beat Clemson. They came back and beat Texas, but they still didn't get over the hump. They both lost national championship games to the SEC. Both teams, my God, I wish I would have thought of this in the moment. Both teams had their defenses decimated. They and lost. You lose your quarterback after Abs- that loss. And then the after your quarterback is back for the second year, but then he's gone for the third year, and then you have to restart yeah. again. But then guess what Ohio State does in 2007? They go to the national championship game. So they get their butts whipped by the SEC. So is that? But it's, but it's one of those things. I mean, it's like one of those things. Is that a, is that a bad yeah. year? I mean, it's like no, Ohio no. State- that's no. It's a great. The point is, you got to the national title after once again losing a lot of talent, which is what Ohio State is. That this was the best team of that era. And they didn't make the national championship game, but mm-hmm. they made the national championship game the next two years. So it wasn't like a complete 
we blew our only shot at it. It's like mm-hmm. they blew their first shot at it. And by the way, not first shot because they won it in 02. And they were really good in 03. But they rebuild in 04, which leads to this. And then 05 does lead to something. It leads to consecutive national championship game appearances. But to me, you still leave this game thinking what could have been. Because on this night, and I think in this season, the Ohio State Buckeyes were a better football team than the Texas Longhorns. Ohio State just made too many mistakes, mishandled the quarterback situation, and Texas had a generational dude. Good rewatch. Tough one. And I want to make sure I have some other ones planned and lined up. We're going to do an Ohio State win for the next one. I'm not going to make you do back-to-back losses because this is kind of painful. Nathan, did you enjoy watching this one? I did, and I'm here for the next A.J. Hawk slash James Laurinaitis. Like, I'm intrigued by, like, um, like over-the-top linebacker play and people doing things from that position that you just marvel at. And well, all due respect to the guys who were there this last couple of years who I think were very good football players, I don't think we quite saw that. So I'm, I'm ready for that to return to Ohio State football. That'll be fun well, to watch. I think we do have it. It's just not a linebacker. Now it's at defensive end. And AJ well, Hall, I specifically AJ, said linebacker. Oh, that's rare. Because like I was say, because Chase Young's got great hair too. And, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. <laughs> he was, I, I, I've seen Chase Young. I saw that with my own two eyes. <laughs> it's interesting. It's almost like, defensive end took because Ohio State had a linebacker legacy that you kind of expected yeah. it every year and now it's a defensive end legacy that it took over it didn't mean they didn't have good defensive mm-hmm. ends then it doesn't mean they don't have good linebackers now but there's a standard but it's like yeah that, that Hawk like when you say AJ Hawk Gary Danielson's talking about Chris Spielman then you talk about James Laurinaitis and you talk about AJ Hawk and then you talk about Ryan Chazier and you can talk about James Laurinaitis and that's how these defensive end are, ends are right now you have an easy kind of way to talk about it because there's been such greatness in the recent past and we're not there at linebacker right now, but maybe, I don't know, CJ Hicks and those guys will do something about that. All right. We enjoyed it. Thanks for joining us on Buckeye retalkables. Again, we'll start dropping these in again in the off season. If you have a particular game you want us to do, let us know on text or tweet at us. If it's available, readily available to the world, We'll do it, but we have to be able to watch it. And there is a limited number of those is whether someone, this is like recorded by a person in Georgia. I think you could tell it was like the Georgia lottery came across the bottom. So thank you to the person in Georgia who put this entire game up, I guess, illegally on YouTube. We hope you don't get arrested for Nathan Baird and Stephen means I'm Doug Maurice. That was a fun version of Buckeye talk. Thanks for joining us on that version of Buckeye retalkables because that was Buckeye talk. <laughs>